0: Greetings to you all. I am really excited about this series that we've embarked on. Last week I was speaking to you on the subject of engaging heaven, and we've seen amazing things happen in our church as God is just activating uh, the watchman anointing, and more and more people are getting into prayer. I want to encourage you to join us for online Zoom prayer meetings. Uh, We've got a prayer meeting that takes place Mondays, 4 a.m. and then Monday night 7 p.m. and then every day right through to Friday at 12 noon and then we've also got an early morning one on Wednesdays at 4 a.m. and then we've got one at Friday on Fridays 7 p.m. and then also Friday midnight and um, God is just doing amazing things. We've got a pre-service prayer also for the Centurion Church at the church venue on Sundays. So a lot of prayer meetings and I wanna encourage you to be a part of that. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for revelation. I thank you for your powerful word and I thank you for the things that we can glean from your word. We open our hearts to you and we ask that you would speak to us, that you would minister to your people in such a powerful way. We pray this in Jesus mighty name, amen. I also wanna encourage you because from the 11th right through, to the 20th of July. We will be embarking on a time of prayer and fasting and I'll encourage you to join us for that. God is gonna be moving in a powerful way. The theme for that is Engaging Heaven. So that's from Monday the 11th of July. I believe it will be so, so powerful. Today the title of my message is The Marks of a Praying Church. Prayer is one of those Christian disciplines that is taught, it's taught a lot, but it's practiced very little. It's one thing to have a few prayer meetings carried out by a handful of intercessors, but that does not make you a praying church. And in this sermon, I will outline nine core characteristics of a praying church and propose some shifts that are really necessary in order to take prayer, the prayer of a church, to its next level. We can begin to call ourselves A praying church when the following things take place. The first one is this, when we pray for extended periods individually. You see, the corporate prayer is an overflow of the individual's devotion to Christ. So when you come to a prayer meeting, it's important to be prayed up. You can't rely just on corporate prayer in order to say, we're a praying church. You can't just rely obviously on individual prayer to say we are praying church, but it starts off with the individual's prayer. There's certain things we can't pray about in corporate settings. We know that, don't we? There's certain battles that we carry as individuals. There's certain things that we can't actually just talk about with everyone and say, oh, this is my prayer request. Corporate prayer cannot replace individual prayer. If you're in a place where the only prayer you're doing is praying in a prayer meeting, then that's not adequate for the Christian life. And I want to show you examples of extended periods of individual prayer. We see this in the life of Jesus. In Mark 1.35, it says, Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. There were things that Jesus did with his disciples, there were things that he did with his inner circle, the three of them, but there were also things he did by himself. One of the things he did on a daily basis, as was his habit, he got up early before the sun arose, you know, Um, and scripture is very clear about that. In fact, that was how the disciples learned how to pray. It says they saw Jesus praying and then they went to him and said, Rabbi, teach us to pray. And it's interesting that this happened a great while before the day had started, a great while before sunrise, right? And in those days, they would pray in watches. So it was probably about 3 a.m. or so if the sun would rise at about 6, all right? He was praying a great while before the sun arose. It's important to pray before your day starts. I'm not saying all your prayers should be then, but I'm telling you if you've got a busy day ahead of you, It's important to be prayed up before that particular day starts as opposed to starting to pray while you're doing the things. Very important. Let's look at Daniel. He was committed in his individual discipline of prayer despite persecution. Remember why he ended up going into the lion's den? It was because he was praying. He was praying three times a day and an edict had been issued out that they weren't allowed to do so. They had to literally worship the emperor, right? And in Daniel 6 verse 10, it says, Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. So this was a habit, this was a discipline, and he would do that at different times of the day. And this is quite important because very often when you are praying extended hours each day, sometimes you to, to literally get to those extended hours, sometimes you find that you need to be finding pockets of prayer throughout the day. Very often I find myself praying in different places. You know, I will pray early in the morning. I'll find myself when I'm doing maybe some sessions or seminars, I'll find myself praying uh, during the breaks, for example, during the lunch break. So there are different times I would pray throughout the day. And that's quite important. And we see Daniel doing this particular thing. And then we've got Peter who had struggled with prayer in Gethsemane. Remember when Jesus said, you know, uh, could you guys not wait? You know, could you not watch uh, for at least an hour with me? Right? He had struggled. But look at Acts chapter 10. It says, Acts chapter 10 verses 9 through to 10. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. Okay? This was the time when Peter then had that trance, had that vision, and um, he ended up having to go to Cornelius, the centurion. But he didn't have an average prayer life. He was prayerful. I also find it interesting when you look at Paul's life, Paul didn't have an average prayer life. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 18, uh, Paul says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you, okay? So his prayer life, particularly here, praying in the spirit, was not average. Elsewhere, he would talk about how I continue to pray for you, and the word used there is to, I agonize in prayer for you until Christ is formed in you. That is so powerful. But that's what he did. That was his life. It was a life of prayer. The second ingredient, the second mark of a praying church is that we pray for extended periods corporately. And I wanna show you in scripture where we see this. In Acts chapter 12, I'm gonna read from verses five through to seven and then verses 12 through to 15. And it was the time when Peter was in prison. It says, Peter was kept in prison but the church was fervently praying to God for him. I love that. But the church was fervently praying to God for him. You see, there are times we pray as individuals, but there are other times where we gather as the church and we pray fervent prayers. It's what I call F cubed prayers, okay? Uh, Faith filled fervent prayers. And it's interesting because it says, on the night before Herod was to bring him to trial, And he could have been killed just like James had been killed. Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, okay, with sentries standing guard at the entrance to the prison. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. He tapped Peter on the side and woke him up saying, get up quickly. And the chains fell off his wrists. Okay, that's the power of a praying church. And you can see that they were persistent in their praying All right. It was for an extended period because by the time it got to verse 12, right, when he had um, managed to get out of the prison, it says, And when he had realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered together and were praying. So they were still praying. Okay. he knocked at the outer gate and a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. This is powerful that Rhoda was also in the mix, okay? So it was different. The the demographics were very interesting in terms of the people who were there. They were young, old. There was Rhoda, a servant girl. She was involved in the process. When she recognized Peter's voice, okay, so she knew who Peter was. She wasn't just some servant in some corner doing something else, right? She was part of this congregation. She was so overjoyed that she forgot to open the gate, but ran inside and announced, Peter is standing at the gate. You're out of your mind, they told her. But when she kept insisting it was so, they said, it must be his angel. All right. I think it's so powerful when the church gets together and prays these uh, fervent, faith-filled prayers. And we're called to do so. We're called to pray these F cubed prayers, faith-filled, fervent prayers continuously uh, as as the church. In Matthew 26, verse 40, it says, Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. This is Jesus. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Here's this group of men, all right, his disciples. I don't know if they were more than, you know, uh, the usual number, right? I don't know if it was uh, even a larger group of people. But he says, couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? So our corporate prayer is not supposed to just be only 15 minutes, only 10 minutes. We have to also have times of extended corporate prayer. Jesus was actually surprised that they could not watch with him for at least an hour. In Acts chapter 2 verses 41 through to 43, it says those who embraced his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to the believers that day. Now, it doesn't say some of them devoted themselves to prayer. It doesn't say there were a few intercessors in the corner praying. It says in verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Who? The 3,000 that were added. All right? If it was a very small portion of them, it would have qualified that. It would have said a few of them did. But it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread. and to prayer. What does it mean to devote yourself to something? It means to give yourself wholly to something, fully to something. And what is the result? In verse 43, it says, a sense of awe came over everyone and the apostles performed many wonders and signs. I think this is so powerful. The third aspect or third mark or third ingredient of a praying church is that Our church is a collective watchman. We're collective watchmen. I've mentioned to you last week that uh, watchers, what they do is they see, they warn, they guard. And I find it so interesting because in Acts chapter 4, I'm going to read from verse um, 23 through to 31. It says, On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, now just watch how the early church would pray. This is so powerful in terms of the content of their prayer. It says, when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, you spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father, David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate uh, met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, goes on to say, Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. What I find so interesting about this, and I think it's amazing, is that they're doing a lot of praise. They're acknowledging who God is. They bring to remembrance the great things that the Lord had done. And then the last bit is when they make their request and they cry out to the Lord and the place shook See, our prayer content is not limited to personal breakthrough. One of the characteristics of that collective watchman is that we carry the burden of the Lord. We stand in the gap to watch. We stand in the gap to guard. We stand in the gap to warn. We've moved on from, from uh, that consumerism and self-orientated prayer meetings. Our interest is in carrying the burden of the Lord. We still present our needs our own needs to the Lord, we present them, right? Whilst understanding that, you know what? As we embrace the call of the watchman, God will grant us the desires of our heart. But the majority of the time, we're not just praying concerning our own needs. See, collective watching means that we're united and we're agreed in our prayers, strong prayers of agreement. We're not lone rangers. We're submitted under authority. This is why it's so important for prayer leaders to explain the theme of the prayer time and to ensure that everyone understands and is praying in the same direction. Watchmen pray the heavenly blueprint that's based on God's word. And this is why it's actually really powerful when we pray the word. It's so, so powerful when we pray the word. The fourth ingredient or mark of the praying church, Is the following the majority of the church is involved in some form of prayer this is so crucial prayer is not limited to a specific gender it's not limited to a specific age group it's not limited to a specific demographic it's not limited to a specific social class and we see this in Joel 2 15 to 17 it says blow the trumpet in Zion Declare a holy fast, call a sacred assembly, gather the people, Concent- consecrate the assembly, bring together the elders, gather the children, those nursing at the breast. Let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber. Let the priests who minister before the Lord weep between the, uh, the portico and the altar. Let them say, Spare your people, Lord. Do not make your inheritance an object of scorn, a byword among the nations. Why should they say among the peoples, Where is their God? I think that is so powerful, right? It's talking about the elders, it's talking about the children, it's talking about those nursing at the breast. It's everyone involved in prayer. There's no baby Holy Spirit. And that's why there's certain prayer meetings where we need to involve our children. We need to expose them to prayer. If you look at people who are very prayerful in history, like John Wesley, where did he get that from? His mother, Susanna, who would literally lift up her apron and just close, you know, know, close her face. You know, close her eyes with the apron and so on and just be praying, 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 just blocking out everything that was going on around her. They learned from her and our children need to be exposed to a lifestyle of prayer. You see, in a praying church, there's a critical mass of people who are involved in prayer. All the church meetings integrate prayer in one form or another. So if you're meeting in your small group, for example, there'll be a portion of prayer there. If you're about to meet and go on an outreach, there's prayer happening there. You want to maximize even in your social gatherings where you're saying, wow, let's maximize on the agreement we have here. Let's pray. Let's maximize on those moments when we gather. There's the power in agreement, such power. You know, it's so sad that prayer meetings are often seen as a place for, oh, it's a thing for women right? Or it's a, a thing for those who are not gifted in other areas. They, they'll just pray for us. We'll do the action and they'll pray. I'm so blessed to see those who are starting to come to prayer being activated in other areas, such as evangelism. I was um, in one of our prayer meetings recently and I saw that, wait a minute, almost everyone who's involved in evangelism in the church is actually in this prayer meeting right now. It seems like when God touches your heart in prayer, it does something to you and you want to do other things. There's a link between prayer and action. I'm going to go into it just now. Busy people need to pray. You know, John Wesley said, I have so much to do that I spend several hours in prayer before I'm able to do it. I have discovered that when you have a busy day, there is often more to pray about. Recently, I found myself, Uh, praying extended hours, but at the same time, knowing that I had a full day ahead of me And I found that I had quite a bit to pray about because it was a full day. I was doing a particular seminar and I was praying through each section that I was going to teach that will would land powerfully in the people who are going to be listening to me. And I was praying through it and I realized, you know what? The busier you are, often the more you have to pray about. Just think about it. If you're not going to be doing anything on a particular day, unless you're interceding for many people, but when it comes to just praying for yourself and praying for your day, if you're not going to be doing anything, then there's nothing to pray about. You know, Lord, look after me as I just sit here. But when you've got multiple meetings, then you don't use your busyness as an excuse for not praying. It's actually a reason to be praying. In 1 Timothy 2 verse 8 in the ERV, it says, I desire therefore that the men pray in every place. So in the marketplace, we pray. In church, we pray. At home, we pray. In every place, lifting up holy hands without wrath and disputing And I think that's so powerful and it's interesting for me because the word used for men here, when he says, I desire that the men or all men pray in every place, it's actually andrus, okay, which in the Greek is males. And so for those of you who are men who think like, oh, praying is just for women, you know, there was a context here, yes, where Paul was uh, wanting these people to be praying. There was obviously a specific context, but he was calling men to arise to pray, And I believe we need more men praying. We need more men in our prayer meetings. We need more men rising up instead of just saying, I'm the head of my household. Well, lead even in prayer. Lead even in prayer. Lead in terms of hearing from God, hearing from heaven, right? Men need to be praying. The fifth mark of a praying church is that our church leadership is actively involved in prayer. Again, very important, isn't it? As leaders, we don't ask people to do what we are not willing to practice. It's easier to set up prayer meetings and call people to prayer if you're doing so yourself. So, for example, when I said, guys, we're going to have a 12 midnight prayer meeting on Friday nights. The reason it wasn't difficult for me to do so, apart from the grace of God in the situation, is I was already praying at that time. I was each week, um, usually on Fridays, is where I'll have my extend, an extended time of prayer. I'll pray from uh, ten o'clock, ten p.m. through to three a.m. Okay, so. Twelve midnight, I'm already praying, so it's easy for me to say, hey guys, come and join me. Come, we're starting a prayer meeting at 12. But if you're not praying at some of these times anyway, as an individual, the reality is that, you know what, it'll be very difficult for you to invite other people to pray. It'll be very difficult for you as a leader to teach on prayer, right? I don't like to teach on things that I'm not walking in, that I'm not practicing, right? In Acts chapter 6, verses 3 to uh, to 4, in the Berean Study Bible, it says, Therefore, brothers, select from among you seven men confirmed to be full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. We will appoint this responsibility to them. That's in terms of serving the widows, right? And These became known as deacons, well, we call them deacons nowadays. They're really appointed servants, right? Uh, to do that particular thing. And what did the apostles say they would do in verse four? And we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. It's so interesting because nowadays when you say, what does an apostle do? People say they oversee churches, they plant churches, they lead in this way, they do that. How many people talk about, hey, you know what? They're devoted to prayer. Three years ago, the Lord challenged me on this, said, Paul, because of what I've called you to, you need to be devoted to prayer. You need to be devoted to prayer, right? And we can't pray average prayers. A lot of people don't like the idea of, you know what? I've I've got this calling over my life, but now look what I have to do. You can't say to yourself, I've got a great calling, but then you don't have a great lifestyle. Your lifestyle has to back your calling. That's why Ephesians four verse one says, I urge you therefore brethren as a prisoner for Christ's sake to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Your lifestyle has to back your calling right? So our church leadership is actively involved in prayer. If you're a small group leader, you need to be coming to prayer meetings, right? If you are a leader, head usher, whatever role you play in the church, you need to be involved in at least some of the prayer meetings, okay? Prayer is central and we're going to keep preaching this until we have a very strong prayer culture in the church, you see? It's one thing to have lots of prayer meetings. It's another thing to be a praying church. This is so crucial. There needs to be a critical mass of people who are involved in prayer, not just a handful. The sixth mark of a praying church is that God is glorified in all our prayer meetings. And this is actually seen in adhering to the protocol of praise and thanksgiving. That's why we always start off our prayer meetings with praise and thanksgiving. You see, God is praised as testimonies arise of answered prayer. God gets the glory. Our prayer meetings are characterized by prayer, not by announcements or lengthy speaking or entertainment. You know, sometimes people can con themselves and say, we went for an all-night prayer, but there wasn't that much prayer that happened. Okay, there was a nice sing song and you were expectating watching a band doing their thing and so on. But that's not prayer. There were guys preaching quite a lot and you were listening saying amen, but that's not prayer, right? There was entertainment, commercial breaks, right? But that's not prayer. In the book of Psalms uh, 100 verse 4, it says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. So our prayers need to be interspersed with praise and thanksgiving. Sometimes we can sing the praise. Sometimes we say the praise, but it's important that we are praising God and giving thanks to him. It's crucial. God must be glorified in all our prayer meetings. It's not a one-man show. It's not about, it's not about drawing attention to one person. It's about God and it's about honoring him. The seventh mark of a praying church is that the content of our prayer meetings is outworked practically? This is so crucial. There's no dichotomy, there's no dichotomy between those who pray and those who do. All right? You know that um, sometimes you're the answer to the prayers in those corporate prayer meetings. We're not saying, oh, let's pray that God provides for those people out there. And then we think like he'll always use other people. No, sometimes he'll convict those who are in the prayer meeting. And what I'm finding more and more is that the people who seem to be attending prayer quite a lot, so many of them are the ones that are very active in terms of some of the results, some of the solutions, right? Uh, So many of them uh, will give a lot. So many of them will be the ones doing the outreach. We're not just saying, God, come, raise up laborers to reach the lost. Some of those laborers are coming out of the prayer meeting. So we don't just pray for the lost without seeing an activation of evangelism in our midst. We realize that we are often the solution that we are praying for. Those that attend our prayer meetings are often the early adopters of change in the church. Prayer meetings are a place of instruction from the Holy Spirit. And we go out in obedience. And we see this in Acts 13 verses 1 to 3. It says, and this was the time, of course, when uh, Paul and Barnabas were sent out. And it says, now they were at Antioch in the church that was there, prophets and teachers. Barnabas and Simeon who uh, was called Niger and it mentions the number of people. But what, what, look what it says. And it says Saul was there who became Paul. But look at verse two. While they were ministering to the Lord, right? And fasting, so fasting also is mixed in there. The Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. I believe that times of corporate prayer, times of corporate prayer are often times where the Holy Spirit begins to tug certain people. And there's a strong prophetic sense that, you know what? It's time now. It's a place of activation. It's a place of release. And we're seeing it more and more. So the content of our prayer meetings is outworked practically. It's not just some theoretical thing. Hey, we're just with God here and those people are out there doing everything. Okay, there's a connection between what we're praying and what we end up doing. The eighth ingredient or eighth mark of the praying church is that our prayer meetings are characterized by brokenness and repentance. In 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, it says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. This is so powerful. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves. That's a massive key, massive key in getting God to hear you. It's not just about what you say in your prayers. It's about your posture of humility, you see. And elsewhere it talks about how, uh, you know, with Daniel, we saw that he got that response, that angelic activation, when he had humbled himself. He had humbled himself and he actually humbled himself in the form of fasting, in the form of brokenness before the Lord. You see, we don't come to pray in pride We don't pray because we are better than others. When God convicts us, we are quick to repent. Like Nehemiah, we pray identificational prayers of repentance on behalf of our community. Okay? We might not have done that sin, but on behalf of our communities, we identify with the community and we say, Lord, forgive us. Sometimes as men, we come before God and say, forgive us as men. Look what we've done to the women in this nation. All right? We come to pray in absolute dependence on God's goodness and not on our own righteousness. This is so important and our prayer meetings need to be characterized by this. Have a look at Nehemiah's prayer. Nehemiah chapter 1 verses 4 through to 7. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. That's for some days. All right. And some people can't pray for a few minutes. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed. Now he was a very active person, but let me tell you something. His action came from a place of prayer and brokenness. right. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants. This guy was praying. This was like 24-hour prayer, it looks like, right? Night and day, day and night. The people of Israel, I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Isn't that powerful? He identified with the people. That's leadership. That's being a watchman. And it's so powerful because when God is looking for watchmen, he doesn't just say, I look for someone to stand in the gap. He says, I look for someone to build the wall and stand in the gap. All right. And we see that in Ezekiel. And I think it's so powerful that he literally was building a wall, wasn't he? Uh, Nehemiah, but he stood in the gap. And then finally, the ninth mark of the praying church is that we call a corporate fast from time to time. So we mix fasting into our praying. And we saw that in scripture. And there's not an easy thing for many of us to do, but you know what? It's here in the Bible. And somehow when we have a lifestyle of fasting, and when we engage in corporate fasts, it seems to accelerate things in the spirit. We saw earlier that when they were at Antioch fasting and praying, it was in that context that Paul and Barnabas were sent out. They weren't just praying, they were also mixing in fasting with their praying. You see, fasting is a system in the kingdom involving abstaining from food, and it's primarily designed to help believers to connect with God and disconnect from the flesh. And we need that disconnection from the flesh, isn't it? right? Fasting acts as a catalyst that increases the efficiency and effectiveness of other spiritual disciplines. That's what I've realized. It it increases the effectiveness like a catalyst would for other spiritual disciplines, not just prayer, also other things that you end up uh, doing or getting engaged in. Uh, I like what John Piper said. Let me summarize the heart of Christian fasting and why Christians do it. One way to say it is that fasting is the hungry Christian handmaid of faith. Fasting is not a replacement for faith in Jesus. Fasting is a way of saying with our stomach and our whole body how much we need and want and trust Jesus. It's a way of saying that we're not going to be enslaved by food as the source of our satisfaction. We will use the renunciation of food from time to time to express that Jesus is better than food. Jesus is more needful than food. And I think that's so powerful. And uh, in the upcoming weeks, I'm going to be speaking on delighting in the Lord, delighting in the Lord. And one of the things fasting does, it helps us to delight in the Lord as we set aside, set aside other delights. Andrew Murray said, prayer needs fasting for its full and perfect development. Faith needs a life of prayer for its full growth. And I just think that fasting really helps in terms of that. I like what Wesley Jewell said, fasting can deepen hunger for God to work. Spiritual hunger and fasting have a reciprocal power. Each deepens and strengthens the other. Each makes the other more effective. When your spiritual hunger becomes very deep, you may even lose the desire for food. All of the most intense forms of prevailing prayer can be deepened, clarified, and greatly empowered by fasting. And it's exciting that we're going to be going from the 11th through to the 20th of July having this uh, corporate fast. And I believe it will be a powerful time. I encourage you to mix in lots of prayer into that time of fast. You know, try to maybe even double up the amount of time you spend praying during that time of fasting, and you'll see because fasting helps to um, uh, push your prayer to another level, makes your prayer even more effective. You know, there are times when uh, a call can be made for a fast during a time of crisis or during a time of specific need. And you see this with the Esther fast, don't you? Esther is a good example of this. In Esther chapter 4, I'm going to read from verse 16, from verse 16 through to uh, Esther 5 verse 2. She said, Go gather all the Jews to be found in Susa, and hold a fast on my behalf, and do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I am, I and my young women will also fast as you do. That's the powerful agreement, right? Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish, produces that boldness, right? And then she she goes on to speak about what will happen and what they end up doing and so on. But that is powerful. She called a fast and they ended up having a breakthrough, right? And that's why in verse 2 of chapter 5, it goes on to say, And when the king saw Queen Esther standing in the court, she won favor in his sight. And he held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. Then Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter. I think that is so powerful. So we mix fasting into our prayer, into our prayer. And I want to encourage you to have a look on our website for my message on fasting, the power of fasting. It's called. Just search it on www.gochurch.co.za. I also share it uh, with. Uh, some of our church groups, those of you on our WhatsApp groups for the full message on that. It's important as we go into a time of fasting to equip yourself to be reading up on fasting, just to stir you up, to understand why you're doing what you are doing. So those are the nine marks of the praying church. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for what you're teaching us about the praying church. We thank you for what you're activating in our midst. And we open our hearts, Lord, and we say, please help us. Please help us, Lord. We don't know how we ought to pray and we need your Holy Spirit to empower us to go to our next level. Please come, Lord, we pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. God bless you. We love you. Let's keep pushing in this area of prayer and may God activate the grace for supplication, for intercession, for petitions, for extended times of prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.